Hello and welcome to the Active Growth Podcast. In today's episode, we continue the Forget Traffic series. After the first three episodes in the series where we talked about why most online businesses are too obsessed with getting more traffic when really they should use a customer first approach to build up their website and their business, we did a live webinar. And this was a very cool event. It was great to be a part of it and get so much direct feedback. And during the webinar, we could answer many questions directly, but it also gave us an overall feel for you know, how the idea of this customer first approach and the whole forget traffic series had come across. And based on that, based on the questions and based on the input we got, we decided to do one more episode. In today's episode, first, we will talk about something that applies. If you hear us talk about the customer first approach in this series and you think, yeah, that makes sense, but somehow I don't really want to do that. Or maybe it just doesn't seem a comfortable fit in your mind as much as the you know, much more talked about and much more popular audience first approaches. So maybe you, you hear us talking about the customer first approach, but somehow you still feel that inner resistance and you're not quite sure why. Well, I believe we have found out why and we're going to talk about that first in this episode. And afterwards, we're simply going to go through a series of examples. So I'm a huge believer in learning from practical examples. So we picked out some particularly tricky business examples where you might look at that and think, nah, the customer first approach doesn't work here. And we talk you through how you can make a customer first approach work anyway. Plus, some of these examples are actual stories of stuff that we have done in the past or as side projects. So these are not just theoretical examples. These are mini case studies that we walk through. You can go to activegrowth.com forward slash five to get the show notes and links to any resources we mention in the episode. We have also put together a quick reference guide for you, a PDF you can download, where we summarize the stories of our business examples and how to apply the customer first approach. So if you want something that you can refer back to as a downloadable PDF, that is also available at activegrowth.com forward slash five. Plus, if you missed the live webinar that I mentioned and you would like to get an idea of what it was like, we put together kind of a highlight reel of some of the questions and answers from that webinar and it's also linked to from the show notes. That is activegrowth.com forward slash five. So with that said, let's go right into the episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Shane Malach. And I'm Hannah Verbeck. And I'm going to start this podcast by doing something a little weird. I'm going to talk about video games because this is, and yes, this is still the right podcast. We're still talking about the forget about traffic principle, the customer first approach. And so we did a webinar, we did a live webinar where we got a lot of questions and feedback about the first three episodes on this topic. And I noticed something that reminded me of video games. So here's the thing in video games, something happened. I used to be, I used to be an avid gamer, I should say, right? I used to be an avid gamer these days. I'm basically too busy to play video games, but I still follow the news because I think it's fascinating. And one of the things that happened in the gaming industry is that many video games have become very similar in one thing in that video games all have some element of progression. 
So it's not just that you start playing a video game and you know maybe you follow to the end of the story and then you're done. There's always some element of progression where basically you get some kind of a reward for doing more. So you keep playing a little longer and you get a new item, you get a new whatever graphical thing, you get, uh, you know, and you level up, you get a new skill in game or whatever. And this has become part of pretty much every video game these days has this element of progression built in. And it's always, they always try to design it in such a way that it basically never ends. Right? There's always a next level to get to. There's always a next, even better item to get to and so on. Okay, everybody who's played Candy Crush, you can raise your hand now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a very good example of having something to win, even if there was nothing to win. <laughs> exactly, it's exactly that kind of principle. And Candy Crush is exactly the reason why this is in all video games, right? Because game designers figured out that this is one of the things that gets people addicted. You show someone like a little progress bar that's like half full and says, if you keep going, then this progress bar slowly gets, you know, fills up more and more. And at the end, you get something. And even if the thing you get is, you know, totally worthless fake points, then it still, it gets you hooked. Free candy. Free, yes, free <laughs> virtual candy. Who doesn't want that? Free virtual candy. <laughs> so even though that makes no sense, it's something that basically the human brain responds to. It gets you hooked. Now, why am I talking about this? I noticed that when we're talking about the customer first approach, that it seems that, okay, some people, you know, some people are like, yes, this makes total sense. I'm taking action on this. But we also get quite a lot of kind of cautious reactions, right? People, some people are a bit standoffish about it. Like, mm, I'm not sure about this. And if you think about it, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Because if you're an entrepreneur, what we're talking about is an approach by which you get paid sooner, right? We're basically talking about an approach that compared to a lot of the other stuff in online marketing, one of the core elements here is that you get money, you get paying customers much, much sooner than if you don't use a customer first approach. Wouldn't, shouldn't that be super attractive to people? Shouldn't that be, you know, everybody should be jumping on this, no? So, why this skepticism? And I think one of the one of the problems is like the history problem. We talked about this in a previous episode, right? We we hear the stories of people who used an audience first approach, right? And maybe got, you know, tons of search traffic and made money like that. Or, you know, they had a an early Facebook fan page and they got millions of followers and they made a lot of money from that. And so this is kind of the audience first thing. This is in our minds. This is in the storytelling in online business. That's one of the problems. But there's another problem. It's the problem of this sense of progression. And it, there's, I, I think that the audience first idea has a similar, somewhat addictive factor to it because it has this similar element of a sense of slowly progressing towards something. Let me give you an example. I'll call this the selfie problem. If I tell you, or if you read a story about some girl takes uh, photos, selfies of herself every day, wearing makeup, puts it on Instagram, and for some reason she has millions of followers and she makes tons of money from this, right? Sponsored stuff. So all she does is she takes selfies, posts them to Instagram, makes all this money. That's very relatable. And you maybe read that story and you think, well, I have a phone, I take selfies, I put them on Instagram, I'm halfway there, right? I can do this too. This sounds simple. 
And of course, it's an audience first thing because the key element here is that she has 5 million followers and you don't. But then you're like, okay, well, I have to post more selfies. I have to do the Instagram thing. And eventually I will be able to make all this money. This sounds great. And it's something that, like I said, I'm, I'm halfway there. And the vanity metrics, the metrics that show you how close you are to this goal are, they're right there in front of you. You can see how many followers you have. You get notified when you get new followers. You get notified when you get, when someone likes your image and so on. So you have this sense of slowly progressing towards this distant goal. And why do we like that? It's because, well, if I tell you the alternative, for example, one of the youngest billionaires in the world, possibly the youngest billionaire in the world, is the guy who founded Stripe. Stripe is an online payment processor. And if I tell you this story, then your reaction probably isn't, well, I could do that. That sounds cool. You're like, oh my God, online payment processing, how complicated must that be? that's instantly clear that that's a complicated, difficult business. Probably a lot of like legal issues as well with payment processing and stuff like that is complicated. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I'm certainly not halfway there. But Instagram, posting something to Instagram, I can do that. And I think that the audience first approach is something that lets us put off in our minds. We can basically say, well, the complicated business stuff will come later or never which of course isn't true because if you are making millions from your Instagram account, you better have a business set up and you know all the legal stuff sorted out and so on, otherwise you're in trouble. But, but we don't tend to think about that, right? Like I said, you think I have an Instagram account, I already know how this works, I'm halfway there. So it, we, can, we can kind of tell ourselves, well, I'm doing this, right? I'm hustling, I'm growing my Instagram following, I'm growing my audience, and then eventually sometime later, I will get to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but I don't really have to worry about, you know, the implications of that and, you know, all this, all the complicated stuff. I don't have to worry about that. I'll just, I'll just keep making this slow progression, getting a bit, you know, a few more followers, doing a little bit of something or other, some whatever Instagram marketing technique, following on, following people, whatever people do, right? And it gives you this sense of progression. That That's something that gets people hooked. So I think... In this sense, I think that's one of the reasons why we have so many people stuck in this treadmill of trying to do an audience first business, even though they're not really getting anywhere. They get the sense of getting somewhere and it's addictive. And I think there's there's something else there because actually, like if you go after the traffic first, you have a valid reason to procrastinate. So you actually have a valid reason to not do what you should be doing. Because if you tell yourself, like, I first need uh, 5 million Instagram followers, and then I can contact the brand and ask if they want to sponsor me, for example, then you're not doing the hard work. You're not putting yourself out there because like the hard work is actually contacting those people and asking to give you money. And at that point, you can be rejected. And the same is true, like if you think about uh, putting out a, an ebook or an e-course, if you're first waiting for those page views and you're saying like, I need 10,000 page views first before I can uh, put out my ebook and before I can start selling, then again, you're, you're procrastinating, but you have like this real reason to procrastinate somehow yeah. it's as you're giving yourself permission to procrastinate because you're working on something else and that something else is building your traffic exactly and it's it's quite simple i mean this is a totally normal reaction right if you 
if you listen to the customer first approach and we're telling you, okay, here's what you do. You reach out to people directly, send a message saying, hey, you know, get on a coaching call with me. And then you do the coaching call and then, and then you go for the sale on the second call. You go, okay, let's continue doing this. I'm going to charge you $200 a month for this. Pay attention to how that feels because it probably feels like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. That's, yeah, it's like, like Hannah said, you, you can get rejected. It doesn't feel good. And compare that to the feeling of, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to write a blog post. I'm going to publish it. Maybe I'm going to get some traffic later. It's like something you can kind of do. You can hide away from the world and do that and be like, oh, I'm building my traffic. I'm building my list. And later I'll do the difficult stuff. And so the first action point here that we have for you is examine your reasons for, you know, not going after customers first. Do you have a legitimate reason or is it just fear? Is it just that you're basically caught in this in this uh, hamster wheel of trying to build an audience first? Or, you know, do you have a real reason to not do that? Well, up until now, we have been trying to come up with reasons not to find that first customer. And we haven't found a real valid reason yet. So this is also a challenge. <laughs> like, please let us know uh, in the comments on the show notes of this podcast, what is your real reason not to go after your first customer? And like I said, we had trouble finding examples of how not to go after a customer first. So we decided to give examples of how it would look like if you take the customer first approach. Now with these examples, if you if you listen to the third episode in the Forget Traffic series, we talk about, let's say the traditional or the classic example where you build information products. So the, the goal is you're gonna be selling courses and things like that. And we talk through how to go from the customer first to that kind of business. For the examples here, we really wanted to stretch this principle a bit. So we're really leaning out and looking for examples that don't seem obvious, that make you think the customer first approach doesn't apply here. Okay. And hopefully the, the examples we give you can, can help you see how this approach can apply to many, many different examples and business models. So the very first example, if you, you haven't started anything online yet, you don't have your website, you don't have anything online yet, but you have this idea of publishing a recipe ebook. Well, the normal approach or what many people will tell you to do is you go out, you create a food blog. You then publish recipes and you go on and, and our example, let's say this is a vegan recipe ebook. So you publish vegan recipes and you start an Instagram account and you call it something with vegan in the Instagram account name and you, you start building up this audience, right? So you have followers and then maybe you even do like a YouTube channel and you build up a list and all of that has to happen before you're actually starting to create and to publish the book. Why is it better to do a vegan recipe book than just a general recipe book? So we talked a lot about knowing who your customers are and knowing who your customers aren't and who you want to target. And it will be much easier to go more specific and sell a vegan recipe book rather than having like a normal recipe book that could sell to everybody, but doesn't appeal to anybody. Exactly. So. The, the vegan thing, I would, I would probably even go 
you know even further like let's say vegan meals for families or something basically the, having something more specific and vegan is just like a very simple way to target a niche right it's just gonna make it so much easier than trying to sell you know a cookbook we've seen what the normal approach would be now what the customer first approach would look like is you organize vegan dinner house parties for those parties you actually get paid and at those parties you cook the recipes that you want to put in your book and you test the best recipes and you get testimonials on those recipes why not and at the same time you can start pre-selling the cookbook so this is a completely different approach but you will get to the same result having a vegan cookbook the difference is that with the customer first approach you're actually already getting paid Another example of this is something that we did in the real world, uh, which is that when we were in Lisbon doing the marketing apprenticeship, the second one for Thrive Themes, uh, one of the things we did, we had a chef there and uh, he basically just, just by hustling, just by going and talking to people, he got, uh, he found someone who had a small restaurant and he simply talked to the guy and offered to do a pop-up restaurant event there. So for a few evenings, we had like a little pop-up restaurant there. And that's also an example of, you know, you don't need anything. I mean, apart from the cooking skills, obviously, right? But you don't need like an audience, website, traffic, blah, blah, blah first, right? You can just go and talk to some people and you get the platform, like you borrow someone else's platform, basically, and you get customers right away. Like the first thing you do is you cook for other people and they pay for the meals. Now, the next example is a little bit out of scope, but it's one that we got on the on the webinar as a question on the webinar. So that's why I wanted to address this in this podcast. And it's how would I use this approach if I want to start a podcast? Now, the normal approach would be you record episodes and you record a lot of episodes and then you find friends with audiences that can promote you and then you publish another 100 episodes and you wait until you have like 1 million downloads and then somebody will notice you and you will get a sponsor deal and at that point you can become a famous podcaster and get paid for actually talking into the microphone sounds good sounds good what's wrong with this <laughs> well, sounds good if, you, if your wife or your husband is really rich and they can pay for your food <laughs> basically. <laughs> now, our approach would be, first of all, ask yourself, what's the product that you are selling? Because we want to sell something, right? So is the podcast the actual product? Is that the, the, the main thing that will make you money? And how are you going to get money for doing that? Like for being a podcaster? What's your plan on getting money for that? And then if your plan is, for example, to get sponsors, okay, well, get them from the very first episode. So you could make like a special package deal that 
nobody can resist you go after your local bakery or somebody who can be interested in the topic of your podcast because of course you chose a very niche topic right of course like, yes. we agree on that <laughs> we're still we're not trying to talk to everybody we're trying to some very specific target audience and what you will do is you you from day one even before recording that very first episode you go out you hustle you put yourself out there and you get that first sponsor and of course like i mean i'm not gonna say that's gonna pay you as much as if you had already one million downloads but doesn't that beat like having to record 100 episodes first like even if somebody pays you $20 for that first episode like that's still so much better than doing it for free and you're getting in the habit of getting paid from the very start and you get over that imposter syndrome of having people say like oh but I'm not good enough to get paid yet and all that kind of stuff yeah and this is I think what's important here is that you're not going to get me undies or whatever one of the big sponsors right that you hear everywhere we're really picking a lot of me on this, actually. Uh, yeah, it, it just seems especially silly. I mean... Okay, Blue Apron, Blue Apron. just okay, to give fine. you another one. Just one of these, <laughs> you know, one of these sponsors that you hear on all podcasts on the, and on the big ones, because again, that's the story we hear, right? It's like, oh my God, this podcast, you know, they get a billion downloads on every episode. They have these big sponsors. They make all this money just for talking into a microphone. I want that. Well... You're not going to get those big sponsors right away. So the, the key is really to find someone who can benefit from getting a bit of exposure on your podcast and is willing to exchange a small amount of money. So that might be, you know, maybe you're promoting a blogger in your niche, right? Who doesn't have a huge audience, but who does have a little bit of a budget is like, oh, yeah, if you, you know, if you mention me on your first 10 uh, podcast episodes, I'm going to give you 50 bucks for that. You know, and, and again, but it's the same thing because you basically have to reach out to people. You basically have to get on the phone with people and make your pitch and make a case for why they should give you money. Yeah, it always comes back to, to that same point, right? Like where it becomes difficult is the moment that you actually have to ask money from somebody. And that's what the customer first approach is also like teaching you to do from the very start. It's like getting used to asking for money for what you're actually doing and getting comfortable in, in doing that. Now, there is another possibility, and that is that you want to start a podcast to actually promote another product. So you could say like, okay, I want to do a podcast around fishing because I have an ebook around fishing. And in, I, I was trying to find something more specific than fishing, but I don't know anything about fishing. So I'll probably say something really stupid. Cape Cod fishing. We did a website review on a Cape Cod fishing site. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds specific. <laughs> okay. So you could do a podcast on, on, uh, on that type of fishing. And that would be to promote then your own ebook. And every episode you would say, if you want to learn about this topic, you can check out my website, blah, blah, blah. And basically make your own sp sponsored ad in your podcast, right? So in this case, this would be a platform to sell your existing products. And in that case, like we're not against it, but you have to make sure that your product is ready, that it is on sales and that it's already converting when people arrive on the sales page so that people already buy it before you're actually starting that podcast. Because if not, you're doing the same. You're actually just building an audience, but instead of blogging or Instagram, you're using the podcast as your vanity metrics and the downloads of the podcast as the feel good uh, <laughs> 
type of, of uh, rush that you get from building this audience first. I think what's also important here is, you know, why do we insist that, that you should do the product first and get customers first? It's because you have to, you have a limited amount of time available. So of course you can say, well, you know, I'm going to build the product. I'm going to do this. I'm also going to start the podcast and build the podcast and so on. But the simple fact is you can't do everything all at once. And in the beginning, your, your focus should be on getting the customers, getting the customers first. And then once you've got that ready, right, once you've got that thing ready, where it's like, okay, I have a product, I have, you know, I've proven it in the market, even if I've just gotten like five customers or something, then I can start my podcast and I can focus on the podcast actually. And it's, in my experience, you'll actually make much more progress like this than if you're always doing a bit of both, right? You're like, oh, well, today I didn't have enough time to work on my product, but okay, I recorded a podcast episode and, you know, eventually somehow in the future, this will pay off. Yeah, the eventually somehow in the future, I think um, that that's the one you have to watch out for, right? Like each time that you catch yourself saying like, oh, but this is going to pay off somewhere later in the future. You have to ask if that's the best way of spending your time today at this very moment. Now, I saw another example and I thought this was amazing. And um, one of the best examples that I found for saying this is not possible. The customer first approach is not possible. And then I saw this example and was like, holy, wow. Holy cow, this is actually possible. <laughs> and so I'm talking about a tattoo artist with no experience. And so the normal approach and how even I was like, wow, this is, this is a hard one would be to never get started out of fear of not being good enough. And like, how, how could you get that first customer for as a tattoo artist? Yeah, without like... How does that work without like going to prison, maybe where people might be more willing? Yeah. Or without like, I don't know, is pig skin kind of similar to human skin? Right. Okay. Or is that like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a real question, right? Like the first person you tattoo, how'd you get that person to agree to do this? <laughs> I think that's why many tattoo artists also tattoo themselves. But okay, but one thing that I, and this is actually something that I saw happening. So I didn't invent this example at all. It is to actually offer a tattoo for free. And I saw this happening in a Facebook group of somebody saying like, Hey, I'm just starting out. Like I've, I finished my, uh, my internship, but now I have to find real humans to, to tattoo and I'll do it for free. And at that point you can ask for referrals and then start with maybe a discounted price. If you're still not comfortable asking a full price for your tattoos. And at the same time, you build up your portfolio with real clients. So you get experience, you, you, you see what works, what doesn't work. And those people can then actually bring you in paying customers. And so if you wonder if this works, like I have a friend who just got a free tattoo from somebody who's learning how to tattoo. So yes, people, actually are are willing to do this so are willing to to get a tattoo for free or are willing to have like a discounted price even though they know that the person isn't very experienced yet yeah this is actually kind of similar to the idea of the free trial coaching where we also recommend that you you know you give people a free thing you say here's a coaching session for free 
Um, and of course, with tattoos, it's a little bit different, but it's it's a similar approach in which, and I think that is a legitimate way of you know using a free offer, using something that you give away for free as a way to build your audience or to build your business. Because as you as you've heard, we generally advocate like getting paid, right? You should you should like be confident about what you're worth, and you should make sure that you get paid for your work. But I think this kind of approach giving a freebie like that, that is a good way to start. And, and yeah, with tattoos, I think it's, it's a good example because getting someone to pay you for a tattoo, if they know that you've never done it before is it's probably a bit of a hard sell. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> now back to the e-courses, e-books and uh, information products. Imagine you want to launch an evergreen e-course funnel for a graphic design course. The normal approach would be to buy a ton of expensive tools, to spend several months learning how to set up those tools and how they all work together and uh, how to make sure that nobody can game the system. And then you would also have to spend months in developing like this whole e-course and in the same time you would be blogging and then you would hope and pray to get money the moment that you launch that evergreen funnel. In this example, the, the, the thing that I see a lot of people get stuck on is, and that's why we call it an evergreen e-course funnel, is that is this technical stuff, right? Where you're like, it has to be evergreen and automated and it has to have this launch sequence and marketing automations and an autoplay webinar that looks like a real webinar and so on. And I have to have all this technical stuff. All of that needs to be in place so that I can start selling. And that's another rabbit hole that people fall down, you know, where you can basically spend forever trying to set this up. Yeah, for everybody who doesn't know, like evergreen just means that it's uh, recurring and so that people have the impression that it's like a real launch, but it happens like on autopilot for everybody who joins your list or whatever. Like this is typically the kind of stuff that does need uh, a lot of technical knowledge to, to set it up and, and a lot of tools. Now, if you follow our approach and you still like in your mind, you still have this idea, right? Of having an evergreen e-course funnel for your graphic design course. But instead of doing everything we just explained, you start by doing graphic design coaching. So you start by teaching people how they can do their graphic design and then you get paid to do so. So people actually pay you to be their teacher. And in the same time, by working with those people one-on-one, -on -one, you're actually going to learn what works and what doesn't and how do people learn and how do you explain stuff. So you're actually getting better as, as a teacher while you're doing that. And you can create your e-course on the same time. So you're doing this one-on-one -on -one coaching and in the meantime, with everything that you're learning from there, you create your e-course. Now, you launch that e-course once it's, it's ready, but you do that without any fancy gimmicks. So there are no automatic timers and price changes at the end of the launch. And you just like you, you sell your course and you don't use any expensive tools. And from there, you can learn and improve. And you can get feedback from real customers who went through the course and who can tell you what worked, what didn't, and you can make your course better. And once you've sold 
a few thousands of dollars of that course and that you know that it works and you know that it's like a, a very good course and people are super happy once they buy it and once they follow it, then you can think about investing in the tools and putting everything on autopilot and you can start working on your second project. But with this whole thing I just explained again from day one through the coaching, you're getting paid and you're getting paid to develop your e-course and to make it better. A point about this one is that it would be tempting in this example to say, well, it's much easier to just do graphic design as a service to get paid, right? I'll do graphic design as a service for people. Uh, so they pay me to design their websites or their logos or whatever. And I use that money to pay my bills and, and work on the e-course on the side. But it is much better to do what Hannah suggested, which is to find people who will pay you to teach them graphic design skills. So it's maybe freelancers who want to do the, the freelancing that I just mentioned. The reason this is important is because those are going to be your actual customers. Those are the same kinds of people will pay you to teach them graphic design uh, are the same kind of people who will buy a course on how to do graphic design. And it's much more valuable for you, even though it might be more difficult to find these people and you'll, you'll have to basically be smarter about whom to target and how to target them, how to reach them. But it's going to be much more valuable to you to actually be teaching these people, coaching them, getting feedback, seeing their questions, and also learning from them, you know, their, their use cases, like what are they trying to learn this for? What are their end goals? And that will help you make a much, much better product, even though it might be easier to finance your product building in a different way. I don't really agree that it would be that much more difficult to find somebody to teach them graphic design as it would be to find clients for your, like as a graphic designer, because the key would be just to be specific, right? If you're like, I target digital nomads who want to be able to live anywhere in the world through designing websites for clients. Well, you just found your target audience. And I'm sure that if like, if you brand yourself that way, you could find people who pay you to show them how to do graphic design. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the reason I brought this up is because I think what we're familiar with is, you know, you go to Upwork or someplace and, and you hire graphic designers, right? It's something that I think is much more of an obvious choice, like top of mind. And again, it's the problem is that I agree that you can definitely find people that, that will pay you for the coaching, but you have to do a bit more, you have to be a bit more creative. You have to do a bit more hustling to get there. And, and so it's just another example of like, be wary of taking the easy way out there. That being said, coaching idea. At one point, I really wanted somebody to teach me Adobe Premiere for video editing. <laughs> like I couldn't, like I didn't want to go through an e-course because I needed only specific stuff and I couldn't find anybody who wanted to teach me Premiere. So yeah, just saying that this is actually like, there can be a real demand for this type of services. Yeah, for sure. Complicated, but popular tools are they always spawn great business opportunities, right? Because you can help people make sense of them. Now, another example comes from my background and this is the, the situation is that let's say you're a martial arts trainer, you're a martial arts trainer, but you don't have uh, students, you don't have a location, you don't have a gym or a dojo or anything, and you want to get started. Now I'm using martial arts trainer as an example, because that's what me and a friend of mine did a few years ago. But the same would apply to like a fitness coach or other kind of physical training stuff. 
So the normal approach would be that you say, okay, I want to have my own dojo or my own gym. And, and you kind of look at what does this cost in, in rent or, you know, maybe I can buy a location. How much do I have to save up, right? How much money do I have to have to be able to start this? Because I have to get the place, I have to get the equipment, all this, right? So, so you save up and you save up for a long, long time, probably, right? You, you, yeah, you, you work your job and you put some money to the side every month. You slowly save up and at some point you're like, okay, now I can afford the lease. I can get the equipment. You do all that. You build your gym. And then you probably print some flyers or something and, and spread them around and hope that you get some students, right? And of course, this is a huge risk because maybe you don't get any students, but you still have to pay rent and, and you know, you spent all this money. So here's our approach. And this is literally what we did. So we started by doing training events um, and training weekends outdoors. So we did this during, you know, spring and summer season. Actually, we did some in winter as well for, you know, for the hardcore people. But um, just for the sake of it. <laughs> yeah. So and we simply invited people from our extended social circle. So from other people we trained with and basically just word of mouth, right? Just word of mouth. These guys are doing this. Um, and so in the beginning, we did a couple of these events for free and then we started paying for them. And simply through the network again. So after a few free events, you know, a lot of people knew that we were doing this. They, they had come to some of these events. They were enjoying themselves. They got interested in learning about martial arts. And so then we were, we started charging for some very specific courses. So we did, you know, let's say a defense against knife course or a mace training course, right? Like a pepper spray training course. And we still did them outdoors. So our paid courses are still happening outdoors. So we just go to some park or some, some free space somewhere um, and do this. And so we started to get paid uh, before we ever had a gym or anything. And it wasn't even the goal to, to get a gym at that point. And actually today, this is easier than ever. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the website meetup.com. And you can actually very simply post your meetup over there. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that for you, it was even more difficult, Shane, to find like the people in your extended network. Whereas today I've seen it before people were just like, Hey, we're doing a yoga course. It's in this park. It's at this time you bring your own yoga mat and it's 10 euro for a yoga session. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we did this. This was practically pre-internet. It wasn't really pre-internet, but, it, you know, we, did, we didn't have all the social networks and things at the time when we started this. So for sure, this is way easier now than, than it was then. Uh, but even without that, it's, it was still possible. So a next step for us was to get really small locations, you know, like tiny little gyms that we could rent for some evenings. And we also made a super specific offer for a while. We did the training and vetting for a security company, for a small security company for their personnel. So they would basically send us people that had applied and we would do a training with them to see, to teach them some stuff, but also to see, you know, are these people suitable? Can they be, can they work as bouncers or security guards? And, and we also trained the staff. So we taught them you know, self-defense, we taught them you know, how, how do you drag someone out of a club when they're, when they're making trouble, how do you, but also how do you de-escalate and communicate and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's also you know, two elements that, that, again, we're repeating here, but it really worked, you know, if we would have just said, oh, we teach martial arts, come here to learn martial arts, like that's a difficult sell. 
but going to a small security company and saying, look, we can train your um, your staff for their specific tasks. This was a company that had a lot of bouncers and security guards in, in clubs. So for that specific environment, right, we can teach we can teach your guys how to communicate with people in this loud, noisy environment, how to coordinate with each other. And like I said, you know, how to specifically, like how do you drag someone out of a club, right? So that kind of stuff. And it, that was much easier to sell to a small company with this specific goal than a more general offer. And the interesting thing is, so I was only involved in this for the first two years or so after that, I moved out and I got really busy with, with my online businesses. But my friend whom I started this with is still doing this. And he kept doing this kind of as a side gig for a long time. And now he's starting to do this full time. And, and you know, eventually now we're looking at well, probably there's going to be a gym at some point. And because we already have the product, we already have an audience, we already have all this experience and we already got paid for it. It's now actually much easier. And I like this example because most of this happened without even having a website, right? A website and all the online marketing and stuff and all that stuff will become important later at some point. But we, this is this is like an extreme example of customer first because we literally had no traffic because we had no website for the longest time. Also, this is an example that could be uh, transformed into kind of an information product business or something like that. Of course, anything where you're doing coaching, teaching people, there's always some potential to create information products, books, video courses, things like that as well. Now, we've just gone through these examples and those were the examples that we had to think a little bit about how to do the customer first approach. But like I said, we couldn't find anything where it wasn't possible to do so far. So please challenge us let us know what is your business and why you think the customer first approach will not work for you and i'm sure we can find a way to make it work all right so i'm back with a couple of footnotes that was for the time being the last episode in the forget traffic series and i think with that we've really taken a deep dive into this topic and i hope it has helped change your mind and helps you take action to be less obsessed about traffic and less you know chasing less being caught in the hamster wheel of chasing after more traffic and chasing after the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and more inclined to take a customer first approach of course we still are very interested in your feedback about this episode and about the series as a whole and you can leave a comment by going to activegrowth.com forward slash five where you can either leave a comment in the blog post or there's a little widget where you can click and record a voice message if you have any questions or feedback that you'd like to send us that way. We'd also love to hear your own stories. If you have a story of your own of how you've used a customer first approach or another maybe unorthodox approach to building your business, we would love to hear about that. So please leave us a message with your own stories as well. I also want to mention that since we launched, we've already gotten quite a lot of really cool reviews on iTunes for our podcast. For example, Al says, refreshing, looking forward to a fresh approach, love the knowledge and tools shared with us, five stars. Or another one from Brian, I guess, from the username from Italy. He says, it's my new go-to podcast. I've been a fan of Shane and Hannah's work uh, at Thrive Themes for a long time. Now that I've started the podcast, it was an obvious choice for me. 
I've already binge listened to all the episodes and this is a great start with no fluff content and topics that are often original and not found in other podcasts in the genre. Great job. So thank you very much for this. This is just a small number of the many reviews that we've already gotten and of course it's very encouraging for us to get this kind of feedback so if you're enjoying this podcast we really appreciate it if you head on over to itunes and leave a review on itunes you can find us by searching for active growth as one word active growth one word and you'll find our podcast and you can leave a review and of course if you're listening to us on some other device or other platform and you can leave comments or reviews there we appreciate that as well Like I said, you can also get a PDF reference guide to what we talked about in this episode and a link to the highlights from the live webinar we did all by going to activegrowth.com forward slash five. So thank you very much for listening and I hope you'll tune in next time.